The People Have Spoken and Jeff Ross has returned for Roast Battle 2. The four-night event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing, featuring a star-studded lineup of judges including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, and Jason Sudeikis. This is a battle you do not want to miss. The four-night event begins January 26th at 10, 9 central on Comedy Central. And don't miss the live finale on Sunday, January 29th at 10, 9 central to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me on the other line, he never stopped trusting the process. It's Andy Greenwald Embiid! Wow. First of all, are you okay? <laughs> second? Second? I may have had some had some I, Shirley Temples before we did this. Is, would people be upset if we switched this to an all Philadelphia 76ers fandom podcast? Like, just ballpark. Like... How many things would we have to tweak in order to make that work? I don't know. It's like it, it would be – I think that we would keep our core Philadelphia demo to the mm-hmm. extent that we mm-hmm. have one. And then mm-hmm. I think that we would lose all the other people. Literally, literally everyone else. Okay, yeah. let's not do that today then. Let's keep that for, for private time and let's just let's – just, let's do a re-up together. Andy, it's the re-up. Today we're going to do a little bit of in and out on some of the – I don't. I wouldn't necessarily – the news is dominated by one figure and one figure only and that's – Hugh Jackman, but that's, um, that's Beelzebub crouched <laughs> on the horizon of apocalypse. Um, Go on. But we are going to do a little bit of news. We'll do uh, who won the week. I am going to do a report from Taboo Island. It's a lovely, I'm it's sad. a lovely place. I've I've built a duplex there. Uh, hurricane warnings, and then we're going to talk about. A, it's a spoiler spoilerized discussion of the OA for like sort of the second half we- of the pod. So if you haven't. Finish the OA, or if you're uh, if you're you know thinking about watching it, you might want to skip that part, save it for later. This um, this before... conversation is only for people who have found the Fifth Movement. I know. If you haven't, sorry, out of luck. I looked down my throat and I couldn't find anything. Um, I did want to say we are going to do um, a couple of things here. One is that every episode, Andy and I obviously talk a lot about various yeah. shows and albums and movies. Our producer, Zach, has been nice enough to suggest to put together like kind of a cheat sheet. So if you're like, we'll try to tweet this before the episode so that if, you know, we're like, we're going to talk about Homeland on Sunday and you want to follow along, you can you can know that we're going to talk about Homeland on Monday. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So we'll che- tweet that out from the WatchPod Twitter account. That's the watch list that we'll be tweeting out. It's like a little image with just a couple of things. We, we did one from uh, this last episode. Uh, and then we're also going to do next Thursday... Uh, a mailbag so you guys can tweet us and just just brief questions you don't have to ask 19 part uh questions but just be brief questions about uh television pop culture whatever you want um our, our personal lives you can just tweet us at the watch pod uh, i want someone to ask if i know the difference between proficiency and growth i really <laughs> I, 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 as many department of education questions as possible they're going to be very relevant next week so andy let's start with in and out uh the first thing we have to talk about this is about as central to our interests as Philadelphia 76er basketball is the train spotting sequel. Yes. Yes. Well, when is this movie coming out, Chris? We should we should foreground that. March 17th. Not that far away. I mean, look, the movie that came out 21 years ago, which is shocking and almost unfathomable, was a very very important movie for for us in our life and we are we're, you know, I'm not always sold on the need for sequels, but this is a work 
in which the author did write a sequel, and Danny Boyle said that he would do a sequel when the actors were old enough to actually make it interesting. Yeah. Be literally almost different people in a different place in their lives. And he did it. He got everyone back together. The gang's back together. This is happening. But the movie's going to be the movie. Chris, the soundtrack was nearly as important as the movie. And so we expected great things for the sequel to the soundtrack. And I got to tell you, it was announced today. I'm not feeling it. You always, you're always going to look back at the things that you grew up with as like the golden period for whatever. But I don't think that we're out of out of line by saying that like this era of sort of like '93, you know, whenever um, the Judgment Night soundtrack came out. That was, 90, that was 92 or 3. Yeah, sure. through through train spotting, through Empire Records, through like I mean there was just like the 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 Mallrat soundtrack. These were just like or, like routinely like these soundtracks would be the one of your most listened to discs of the year. And the train spotting soundtrack is is just iconic, man. And it's uh I mean what like the biggest one obviously coming off of the soundtrack was um was Born Slippy which became an anthem for many people's uh misspent youth. But- but let's remember that this album also came out when you were talking about like we were talking about the golden age. This is the golden age of Britpop. So, yeah, yes, this soundtrack like introduced a lot of people to Iggy Pop and Lou Reed because they were used so perfectly in the soundtrack. But my man, like Primal Scream, New Order, Blur. Your girl uh, Sleeper, uh, Louise. I love I love Louise Wonder of Sleeper. I love Sleeper. But also Pulp, like this was this this was a movement. And it was an incredible record. And so you kind of want the sound, the sequel to have something else to say other than a prodigy remix of Iggy Pop. Yeah. Which is pretty hideous. I, a, I a personally new track, I, but with you and Bremner. Yeah. And I, and I then, actually really like the young, I like Young Fathers as a group. They get a, quite a few looks on this soundtrack, though. Yeah. Also, like, 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 like Wolf Alice. Like, is that really how far we've fallen? You know, like we used to build things in this country. I know. You know, like I look, I look at this soundtrack and I turn into, I turn into a Sabatka. Do you know what I I, just shake my head? I think the answer is for, for the train spotting soundtrack. Yeah. Privatization. Privatization. You think that's going to be the best move? Yeah. (laughs) Do you think? (laughs) I think, I think business, business knows how to run it. Yeah. I don't know. It's disappointing. When it comes to putting new bands on a train spotting soundtrack, let's let the states decide. So we're, I we're, think let's just let the states decide. We're in on the train spotting. The, the, we're in on T2 train spotting, too. We're in on that. We're a little out on this soundtrack. Although, I, I, I do ride for Young Fathers, so maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be dope. Who knows? You keep um, saying that. I'm learning about you. I appreciate that. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about the new Logan trailer? Um, how do you feel about this? Because I feel like you got good. dusty fingers from being up in the comic book store and you want to school me about various <laughs> friggin' issue runs that this touches on. What? Chris, what do you know about X twenty three, Wolverine's Wolverine's That's two you, clawed daughter? I got I had the pleasure of just listening to Andy watch the Logan trailer, uh, yeah. and, and him going, "Oh yeah, it's a it's a little X X twenty three. Okay, okay, I see what you're, I'm gonna parse this. I see you, I see you, Boyd Holbrook. Um, I, I think you made the right point when we talked about it um, when you weren't making fun of me directly to my face. But like they give too much away in these things. Yeah, That's it's the teaser the was the teaser was perfect. They played hurt. You got what the vibe was. You see Boyd Holbrook. You see Stephen Merchant as Caliban, right? Is that him? Yeah. You got old old Pat, you know, old Professor X just looking really worse for wear. I know it's I know what's coming. I can't wait. Just give me that. 
you don't have to then p- put a two and a half minute trailer out that sounds like it was scored by uh, John Legend's band from La La Land and have all of a like a car chase in it. Like, what's the point of that? Where so, with somebody like We've- I need a little bit more. I need to know how does this car chase sort of set itself up before I go into the theater. But let's also think about the other major plank of of the trailer is literally a scene where they look at an X-Men comic and say, this isn't real life. People die in real life, which is <laughs> literally a trailer moment, you know, and you sort of hope I want I, I just wish things didn't. Oh boy, this is this is cranky old men podcast so I far, know. but I, I wish that these things didn't have to telegraph what they were going to be like, be the movie that makes the other comic book movies look like. Right. Children's comics. You know, you don't need to, to tell us that. But at the same time, they're feeling very exposed because they just made an R-rated X-Men movie, which is a little bit risky. Right. You but don't people know are so and this, this is just so stupid. This is exactly I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I it makes it sound like I have more of an emotional investment in this than I do. But this is like don't learn from Deadpool by saying like, oh, we have to make everything has to have like a snappy comeback and like grotesque humor. And it's all like going back to. There's like a really great Deadpool takedown in on reverse shots. Um, Twelve like a offense, movie offenses post that they do every year, and mm-hmm. I, I don't want to bite it too much, but it was just like de- let Deadpool be Deadpool. But the lesson of Deadpool should just be like if you kind of like leave people alone to do their thing, you might actually get something worth remembering rather than just like another cookie cutter, like synergistic piece of shit. And the thing with <laughs> like the the line on Logan already is. It's somber. It's a. It's like a basically a late period Eastwood western, and it's dope. And like, let's ride out. And there's even been like talk of it being a best picture candidate. The people who have seen parts of it are like, this is mind blowing. Just let it live. Don't spoil the whole Wait, thing. Let's 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 walk that back. There's talk of it being a best picture nominee. Yeah, on Wolverine.org. Aren't you on the board? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I just feel like. The man making fun of me for saying X-23 is in the trailer can't be like, yo, this seriously, this is Pulitzer worthy. This is Pulitzer worthy. Lo- this, is, this is the old man Logan run. Do you, do you know that? Look, it's, it's, it, it could be good. That's where we're at right now. It could be good. It could take me away from the hellscape of reality for two hours. It's fine. It's fine. Chris, everything's fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. Um, last thing. Uh, well, this is... That, so we're, we're in on Logan out on the, the extended... You know, spoiler mm-hmm, for trailers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's it for in and out. But like, you know, you could say in and out on this, but it's really who won the week. We wanted to do who won the week on Thursdays just to celebrate any cultural accomplishments that we're particularly proud of. And Andy, this is a musical one. Uh, one of our one of our house favorites. Um, the band Spoon uh, uh, yeah. has returned. Yes, Chris. You know, remember, remember. I don't know if you remember this. We were talking into microphones for a podcast recently, and I and I and I made the radical statement that the young pope was the first thing that made me happy since the election. <laughs> um, the new spoon song, "Hot Thoughts," had a similar effect on me. And look, I, I feel like it's very, very tough to name a winner of the week in a week when we are all losing so hard. But if we're going to allow that, that that's the case, this song really. Really, really got me there. It got me through it. I'm. We love this band. We love Spoon. For people who maybe are left, is there a Spoon train? Maybe jumped off. It's time to take a beat and look back and realize what a bunch of people, uh, including you know the, the the sages at Wolverine.org, have known for over a decade. <laughs> Spoon. There's a case to be made that Spoon is the best rock band of the 21st century. Maybe 
the best rock band currently going. Now, again, that's a little bit faint praise because how many rock bands are there really other than Wolf Alice? I don't you know. You think Spoon but is the best rock band of the 21st century? I'm saying you can make that case. I'm not saying I'm making that case. Technically, I'm saying you could make could. that case. And I like Spoon a lot. Someone but. could. Right. There's someone who made that case. There is a there are a couple of blog you know you know I like to recommend I like to recommend blog posts. Um, <laughs> you know how I feel about that. There's I'll 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 have I'll have you tweet this for me. Jesus, I'm a monster. You, you, did you hit your head? I'm not tweeting shit but, for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you about X23. Um, That's why I can't tweet. Called, I gotta go to the comic book store. I'm just saying, like, in between the last Spoon record, which was two or three years ago, They Want My Soul, which was a terrific record, and this new one, which is called Hot Thoughts, which is coming out in March, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a music writer uh, put up a, a blog. It's, it's called When Will the Hurting Stop.blogspot.com. And it's really pretty powerful essay writing about coming out as a trans woman, but basically told through Spoon fandom. I know that sounds like a pretty broad elevator pitch, but it was incredibly moving writing, but also very compelling music writing and really brought a band whose main hallmark has been consistency huh. and turned it into a virtue in a way that I really hadn't even appreciated while I've been a fan of theirs for, for 20 years. All that is to say, this new song is just, it's mind-blowing, man. I mean, it is, it, is, it is a spoon rock song. It is a dance song. It is a fucking sexy song. It is has the thing that I love most about songs, which is specificity. I like this in TV, too. I like specificity. Because, like, in the second, in the second verse... When Brit's just like, you look this way on the Shibuya back street. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, they're in Tokyo right now. Take me there. I like that shit. I love this song. That's a good take. I like that take. I'm not even going to be cynical about it. What's your favorite Spoon album? Um, Yeah, right? Girls can tell. Girls Girls can tell. tell. Okay. Girls can tell, right? Girls can tell. I'm going to say Series of Sneaks just to be different. Because I I always loved that that was like the, we're going to... put this like this this might be it right well girls couldn't tell was that this might be it record right well series of sneaks was the hey we're on a major label okay right. i, lo- I love dropped. major label catastrophe records just like dear you by jawbreaker <laughs> this is like an interesting one where it's like we got signed by one person that person got f- fired or the president decided they they thought they were thinking about a different band when they signed us or whatever they, you rarely hear about this kind of stuff anymore but the series series of sneaks just has like so many different ideas going on at the same time. But you like girls can tell. I, I love that record too. That that record really was like a staple and, of my life for a long time. Look and give me fiction and ga 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 ga. I mean, they have not made a bad record. Um, I've spent a little bit of time with a new record, which you know I know you have too. We have advances of it, which is not to brag. It's just to say that it's awesome and awesome in a completely different way. Um, I think Britt might come hang out with us on the podcast at some point. We'll talk more about this, but. If you are looking for a beacon of light in a dark time, go to a Shibuya backstreet with this song. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about Taboo, and then the OA. Hey, guys. Just want to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. At a time when everybody is talking politics, who better than the irreverent and incisive voice of Bill Maher to cut through the chatter? Bill and his rotating panel of guests are back for more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Following a year of tracking the election, we pick up just as a new president takes office. Live, Bill Maher hosts guests made up of authors, thinkers, newsmakers, artists, politicians, firebrands, and provocateurs from both sides of the aisle. 
and they join him to dissect the new and not-so-new people and happenings on Wall Street, in Hollywood, around the world, and yes, especially in Washington. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. Also, every week, the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube. Throwing Shade, the critically acclaimed podcast from Funny or Die, is now a late show on TV land. It's hosted by Aaron Gibson and Brian Sappy, and Throwing Shade is a smart, funny, irreverent current events comedy talk show. Brian and Aaron look at all the headlines in politics and pop culture and treat them with much less respect than they deserve. Entertainment Weekly called Brian and Aaron the perfect combination of silly, intelligent, cynical, and charming. They are also hilarious, and their timing couldn't be better as we begin the President Trump era. This is the show America needs right now. Brian and Aaron don't try to make sense of the world. They just try to make fun of it. And there's nothing else like it on television. It's the antidote to the current insanity in politics and pop culture. You don't want to miss Brian and Aaron's take on what's happening in the world from Funny or Die's Throwing Shade. From Funny or Die, it's Throwing Shade. Wildly inappropriate, always funny, occasionally important. Starts Tuesday at 10.30, 9.30 Central on TV Land. Andy, do you hear that? What, what, what am I hearing? What you am hear, I listening do to? Do you hear the gulls down on the, the the Thames? Do you hear? I don't. <laughs> do you hear the the blockade as the American ships mm. surround London? <laughs> That's taboo speaking. Andy is not watching taboo, and you know usually we try to um, we try to sync up our, our watching. You know, that, as you may know, I I saw something like fifty five movies last year, and Andy saw six, so we, we missed a few. Um, but you know, cause we, we want to talk about it. We want to have a dialogue. We don't want it just to be, you know, one person talks and the other person listens. But in the case of taboo, I think we, 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 we all know, all of us listening know that Andy gave it a hard pass, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> hard, hard pass from Greenwald on taboo. Mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. not. I also feel like I might be alone in the world. I know that there are millions like me based on the ratings watching taboo. But I don't feel like anybody's like stopping me on at Tender Greens and being like, yo, man, you see that taboo? Did you see taboo? though?" And I just feel like we should talk about taboo just a little bit. So I'm just going to do a quick report from Taboo Island for you. Okay, Andy? Yeah, now, okay, go ahead. Just I, I love this. I'm just clearing out the lane for you. Okay. Episode two of Taboo. Here's some highlights. Mm-hmm. Mark Gaddis from Sherlock plays oh. uh, King George IV who seems like he might have syphilis, but I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's historically accurate. And he is uh, basically like real, like he's a very indulgent man. And uh, he's just lying in a settee and talking about how mm. he wants to like really take it to the Americans. It's a war of 1812. Yeah. Don't know if you knew that. Um, or mm-hmm. it's towards the end of it. Uh, Tom Hardy spends uh, a bunch of this episode nude on a slave <laughs> ship carving a bird into the floor there's uh-huh. a bunch of stuff about uh the inherit his father's inheritance and you know like a, a a wife who we didn't know is in the picture shows up so there's that to look forward to she's a an irish actress or an actress that he met in oh. ireland i don't know if she's an irish actress she's she might be british and then I, uh most yeah. importantly is the fact that tom hardy will eat a dude like for real, like that's what he does. <laughs> Stop! He, he, Stop it! He, they somebody tries to stab him, and he just takes a bite out of crime is, for sure. Is it because is it because he ran out of scenery to chew on, and then he just <laughs> reached for the next closest thing? Or? Also, before he even bites a dude, he yeah. goes and 
because he's got this island, right, that could be Vancouver if he can flip the, flip that house right. He goes and he goes to a guy who has on his door, it says, like, you know, Mr. Whatever. I think it's a bone infraction special. I think he's like a 19th century orthopedist, mm. which I can't imagine mm. is a fucking good job at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Doug from House of Cards, and he's American, and he's like, I'm the bone doctor, but also come upstairs I like to dye fabric and make flags. Also, I am a spy for, for okay. America. Now here's what I'm going to stop you. For the people listening at home, when Chris pitched the Taboo Island segment to me, he <laughs> pitched it that he would tell me like three true things about Taboo and one fake thing. And yeah. I'm going to say that that whole last run where Doug Stamper shows up as an inter <laughs> transcontinental body rolfer, that that is fake. No, that all that of is it's just, true. That's not true. I can't lie about Taboo because to lie about Taboo would require a greater imagination than I do. Because I what? Me, me, I am not on Chips, Hardy, Tom Hardy, or Stephen Knight's level in terms of making up Can, shit. Now, I have a question. I, I just want to know, there are three choices that I'm going to ask you. Like, th- th- there are three choices I'm going to give you in terms of your enjoyment of the show. I, I'm so what glad. You're, you're being such a good sport about this. Go ahead. Le- level, because I have to return the favor for all the um, the grace you've shown my Americans fandom over the last few years. <laughs> um, option number one. You yeah. truly, legitimately enjoy this show and thinks it th- and think it's excellent television. Uh huh. Option option two, that you are basically employing Jason Hartley's advancement theory, and much like the the Joe Walsh album that's called "Got Any Gum," you are just assuming that Chips Hardy, because his name is Chips Hardy, is creating art so powerful that we just aren't ready to appreciate it yet. Right. Or is it option three, where you were just sitting there with a chapbook on your knee, writing jokes because you know it's going to drive me crazy? No, I, I I am being completely sincere. I was thinking like it does come off a little bit like Kevin Clark infamously declared that that Aaron Rodgers was um, the sixth best quarterback in the NFL a couple of months ago, and he has not been able to live wow. that down. You can imagine that no. people are pretty chill about that. Um, yeah, sure. You know, it's this is the inverse of that. It's basically like Kevin was counting on. Aaron Rodgers falling apart, in which case he would look like a genius. Aaron Rodgers turned out to be um, the resurrection of the Shiva, the god of death. And so now he's dealing with some blowback, but it kind of like, it's still the conversation still there, you know? With this, you could say, Chris, what you're doing is adopting a pose that you like (laughs) taboo so that if there is ever a taboo, uh, you know, like a renaissance, a, a, a buissance. Front, a, a taboo front lash? <laughs> yeah, a yeah, front lash. You'll be a homesteader. You know, you will be, you'll be yeah. like Nicole Kidman in Far and Away with your flag in the, in the ground. I actually just genuinely like this show. Um, okay. I, I actually just find the, the Mayu, like the, the setting, the, the, the dialogue, the character actors they have in there. Michael Kelly's great. Tom Hardy's great. Um, Stephen Graham, who plays a dude with a crazy uh, um, uh, baby from you could, from Cash Money Chris, head tattoo, you, you, you could you could stop there when you say <laughs> that a British character actor has a crazy. Just do like a Mad Lib and just put a blank space after. No, he's got Birdman's head tattoo. He's got the five point star. It's crazy. Uh, wow. I, I don't know. I love this show. Um, I will continue to send dispatches, messages in a bottle, so to speak, and uh, you know. Listen, before people, before we get into the OA, I, I want to just connect it to, to Taboo, and I mean this very genuinely, that I, I've now watched all eight episodes of the OA. Momentarily, we will begin spoiling it, but before we do, 
as an olive branch to you, King George IV, in your syphilitic settee. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? Not settee? Nope. Nope. It's settee. I just... <laughs> I was just trying to. I was. I, I was just thinking, like, what would what would Chips Hardy do? Uh-huh. Um, I I want to on the record in front of you, God, Queen, King, and Country, and also Zach, apologize to Tom Hardy because after seeing what true actor indulgence looks like across eight episodes of the OA, mm-hmm. I would like to apologize to Tom Hardy because at least he put. He, at least he put makeup on, wore a funny hat, and bit someone. Uh, we do you know have to. I, mean? I have to address one quick thing before we move on to the OA. And a couple of people have brought this up to me, and I think they're really salient points. And I, I you know, is citizen it about, journalism. Is it it's really citizen journalism. Is how in the name of Brad Pitt's haircut from Inglorious Bastards does Tom Hardy have a a high and tight in eighteen fourteen? When everybody else is like wearing a wig or has like long hair and a ponytail, Tom Hardy's like, I look like um, I'm the bass player in Kasabian. Yeah, yeah. Look, you have to remember something here, and I, and I say this with with honestly grudging respect because at least when he was just basically chasing his own uh, flight of fancy here, it, at least he made something that that glances towards entertainment or not entertainment but glances towards um at least he's having fun i'll mm-hmm. put it that way at least tom hardy seems to be enjoying himself yeah I'm you have to remember that the the it, well you, you you i slot you right under tom hardy in the <laughs> list of people that i want to see happy in the world when he the character of james kaziah delaney was a sketch that he drew like in between takes on uh you know this is war with reese witherspoon like uh-huh. He, they made a $100 million TV show because this dude sketched something once. Yeah. So the haircut accuracy came a little bit later. Like that dude, you know, the, 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 the haberdashery historian was not on set for every day is what I'm saying. Yeah. At least he was having fun. And, he, you, and, and I do think you have to take Taboo in that spirit. Maybe Taboo actually, actually is fun. the – what it is is it's an origin story for supercuts. <laughs> he's going to be like – he's going to get uh, – like a couple million pounds for the for this like you know archipelago of rocks that he has in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. and he's going to open yeah, up that's, a. Yeah, that's that. By the way, I, uh, this, the settee police has to come in on that one. That's definitely <laughs> not how you say that word. Archipelago? <laughs> how do you say it? Archipelago. Oh, archipelago. You, 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 were, you, you were just making it. You were just making it mad Italian. I was. You know what I, mean? I was using the young Pope pronunciation. <laughs> that's exactly right. Look. We'll move on. I just want to say this, Chris. Like, I, if if taboo, like half four episodes in, turned into a modern, like, car, not modern, a Carnaby, high Carnaby Street remake of Shampoo, starring Tom Hardy as like a celebrity hairdresser, so in. <laughs> he um, would be so good in that role. Okay, again, we're going to talk about the OA now with spoilers. Um, I want to, especially since I just hogged the mic for so long. I, I want mm-hmm. you. You were very positive about this show especially mm-hmm, after the mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. episode you were like this this is like what this is what television should be it should be risk-taking it should believe mm-hmm. in itself it should be unironic mm. like it, you appreciated all these elements of it the lack of irony the lack of self-awareness that it seemed to just like throw itself into its story and its world mm-hmm. and um and i was like yeah 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 i think i already watched a few in front of you so i was like okay yeah you just keep going down that road <laughs> and 
Um, now I feel like the seesaw is kind of going the other way. I know what you're going to say about this, but I want you to sort of walk me through yeah, your experience I, with this show, I, and I will talk to you about mine. I don't think I'm going to go where you think I'm going to go because there are two levels of talking about this show. There is the like, I, I think there is much about the OA that is. I think two things can be true at once, which is often hard to articulate in criticism. Um, it, it is wildly ambitious. It is worthy of respect. Much of it is a colossal failure. Those things don't invalidate each other necessarily. You know, um, I watched the first two with a growing sense of, I don't know if I trust these drivers, mm -hmm. um, but I respect what they're doing. And to be fair, and this continued through the whole series, it's very compelling. And I kept thinking about it even when I was eager to turn it off. Mm -hmm. And that is no small thing. I also want to say, it does sound like I'm building like caveat mountain here, but I finished this series. There are many better shows that we have hyped that I have not finished. And I feel like that says something about whatever it is Britt Marling and, and Zalba Mamlinge were doing. Or just right? about your dedication to this dire endeavor. Well, I also promised you I'd finish it before today's show. But <laughs> um, there is an element of this that while I want artists to be nurtured and supported and when I want independent filmmakers I want Netflix's money to be worth something so that when interesting art artists and creators come to them and are like we want to do a movie an eight, like a you know a nine and a half hour movie essentially about interdimensional um, jazz dancing uh, and we want to film in Cuba and Russia and where's the money please we'll back up can you just back up the truck and they're like sure like I, that is a, I can get behind that. I support that, you know? Um, but there is an element to it where I feel like, have you heard about schools like, and no shots of the school in particular, but there's schools like Crossroads in Santa Monica, not far from where I'm sitting, where like Baron Davis went and I think like Zoe Deschanel went yeah. and like, yeah, yeah. instead of, instead of learning math, you can like build a King's court out of little gold pieces and then like, you know play backgammon in the middle of it and be like, you know, I pass social studies. Like, everyone can be their own best star. Yeah. Like, the most alternative education. Kind of like going to Brown. Like, like, like going to Brown. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not familiar with it. I'm taking this podcast pass-fail, by the way. So there are no... <laughs> I just mean, like, there was a certain level where I feel like, okay, they got their shot. You know what I mean? Like, we gave we gave Zal and Britt a lot of, a lot of playing time, and they chose to use it by just shooting three-point shots from the half-court line for 40 minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. and now they got to ride the bench for a while. It, it's, cre like it's like creative It's like creative Michael Beasley or Gilbert Arenas. I, like, they've got their they, – they shot their shot. They shot all of the shots, and a, a worrying number of them did not go in. But I, I respect the hustle is what I'm saying. And we can go we can go more specifically. I would love to go more specifically. But in terms of the experience, like, I was warned after watching the first two that something happens in five and, like, you're either in or you're out. So it turned out that was the dancing, right? And I got to tell you, this is the last thing I'll say before I cede the floor. The dancing didn't bug me because at least I was like, this is a choice. Yes. This is a hard choice. And it's a choice that, Jesus Christ, I would never see this anywhere else. I don't know if I'd want to see it anywhere else, but it is a choice I can at least try to respect and wrap my head around, unlike... Uh, Jason Isaacs flying a small uh, propeller personal plane from upstate New York to Cuba and back with comatose prisoners in it. <laughs> know, you know? I know. I, str I struggled with that. He, this is, I found the OA to be kind of the inverse of a lot of, for lack of a better descriptor, bad robot stuff. Um, you'll often hear 
whether it's I'm and I have a lot of affection for Ten Cloverfield Lane. I have a lot of affection for. I'm trying to think of some of the other mystery box stuff that we've talked about over the last Mission couple Impossible years. Three. Yeah. I mean, just yeah, sure, but like some of the more. Um, even even some of the Star Wars stuff where it's like all or like shrouded ca- cabin in, in the woods is that one of yeah those? no I mean but the, some of the like the JJ the more JJ centric stuff that's been shrouded in secrecy and then is talked about Westworld even you know that's talked okay. about in these very in my opinion uh, you can tell that the 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 plot and plot mechanics cart came before the emotional and character beat horse you know this is not that. Um, this is all horse. The OA is like all horse. And when you hear them talk about it, like when you hear Brit and and Zhao and 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 Emery Cohen and the people who are a part of it, when you hear like when you read interviews with them, they speak in these sort of um these really like, you know, emotional broad strokes about like the characters, about looking for like a surrogate family and about belief and faith and the power of imagination or the power of 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 faith and all this stuff like that where it's like that's the stuff that's kind of missing from a lot of these mystery box shows and mystery box movies is like heart, you know, and real like kind of um, sincere belief in the project. Mm-hmm. But they really fucked up all the other stuff. They, they messed up all the <laughs> cart stuff. They didn't build a thing that goes straight. You know, they, they did say like and, and, you know, like we can talk about the, the very ending because that's been proven to be pretty controversial yeah. with people. But in a lot of ways, is of a piece of everything else they're doing, which is just like taking off from the foul line and just trying to dunk it. This is, you know, I, you know, one thing about me is that I took a bunch of theater classes. I took acting classes and in college, and the Brit Marling character or her approach to performance felt very familiar to me. The dancing and the commitment, like there have been many, there were many, and this is probably why I stopped taking those classes, is because I was surrounded by people who would do that and do it with all of their heart and soul. And my first response would be to be like, this is a little corny. Now, the second thought, and I think this is an important thought to sort of catch and hold on to is, you know, that's a defensive thing to say, because I'm not willing to do that. Maybe I'm smart for not willing, you know, to not do that all the time, like when there's an active shooter in front of me. But... I don't have the balls to do that. And I feel like it's important to note that and respect that what they're doing. Now, to see the actorly commitment on display here and to the ends that it, and to what end, you know, Emery Cohen, like that dude is good in Brooklyn. That dude gave it his all here. But I, I was watching like episode five and I was like, someone go get your man. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, right. Like he is, he is out there and he is out there without a net. And someone needs to take a net and physically get him out of there, just like for his own good and for his own career, because he is out there. <laughs> that is what you want from an actor. That is commitment. But it's also like, whoa, yeah, it may be too much. And the the other thing that I would take from a sort of collegiate actorly point of view is this idea that you can solve problems and well, not solve them. You can tackle the biggest problems in the world through your sincerity and imagination, which is not something, especially this week in America, not something I want to trample on necessarily. I, I but yeah, it, it I, doesn't always work because, I, you know, you see the finale, and we can we can talk about it more specifically. But I just wanted to say that, that the takeaway from the finale that was quite interesting to me was how much the Steve character was kind of the crucial, the crucial character to the series because an enormous amount of their interest clearly was this idea of the nature of violence in boys yes. and how it is ignored and not nurtured and the lack of parenting and what it can turn into, you know, OA character uh, is basically nurturing all boys plus Phyllis Smith. And 
that in and of itself is worthwhile and interesting, but it's hard to stay focused on that when you have Britt Marling doing her Messiah act just outside the window. Yeah, and it's... The ending is basically, like... I, I, it's one of those few rare cultural things where I'm like, if you hate this and were revolted by it, then I understand. And if you thought that this was acceptable and part of like the overall arc of the show, I mean, there's been people have been like, if you look through, if you like kind of re, if you re go through the season, there are hints that this is coming anyway, whether it's like, um, yes, audio hints, like they'll like overlay the gunshot or whatever. But you're when you invoke something as charged as school shooting and use it in concert or use it to prop up this kind of uh, this portrait of of Britt Marling's character of Prairie as this Christ figure, even if this Christ figure is was up into that moment, like clearly like deluded about her own sacredness, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, and powers. It, it's just. It's just such like a real tightrope walk. I don't really think they make it to the other side on it. Um, but I didn't. I but wasn't they, but, like revolted by there. it. What? Yeah, they did walk out yeah, there, they, and I and I, I kind of appreciate that. And I would have been a little bit like, it's weird. It's like if you start with the premise of this show, which is that uh, a woman is seen running across a bridge and jumping off, but she lives, and it turns out she's a woman who disappeared from her home seven years ago when she was blind, and now is shown back up with scars on her back and the gift of sight. And as this story gets told in this sort of uh, nesting doll way, we are led to believe that she might be, and at least believes that she is an angel. That's like a path that you have to almost do something almost as significantly out there to get off that road. Yeah. And they do. They do. And I, I know that there are some people out there who think that the ending is pretty... Uh, op- that it's like open to interpretation that she still might be an angel. No, and I, I, I actually really liked that we get that beat that she's most likely lying, you know, and that helps paper over the things like flying to Cuba and back. You know, I, right. I, I appreciate it, even though I think it was not played correctly for it to land one way or another. To your point about the shooting, school shooting thing, like we're not debating whether they got it right, whether it worked, because I think we both agree that it, it did probably not. kind of didn't work. Um I was speaking about the show to um, a TV creator and his point was this is something that happens. This is real. Like there are school shootings with terrifying frequency in this country. And if you want to be serious as an artist, you have to be able to try and bring it into your work. Now, if that means it's to everyone's taste, I don't know. But I I, I appreciated that point of view because they are reaching for not just for um, storytelling ideas, but for actual pieces of our culture, ugly parts, painful parts, and trying to say something about it, do something about it, it, my reaction to that is not unlike my reaction to them dancing. Like, I cringe a little bit. Yeah. But for me, the failures were mostly, were certainly not failures of ambition. It's really were just creative failures. You know, I, I think Britt Marling as a performer maybe works better in two-hour bursts you know, the, the sanctimoniousness and seriousness and self um, in almost, I don't want to say self-regard, but it's there too of this performance where she's essentially playing a saint, an angel, a messiah, and is that intense note throughout the whole thing. Like we said a week ago or whenever we talked about it, that's a tough hang. That's just a tough hang for a TV show. Yeah. And you needed a lot more, uh, you needed a lot of other beats to leaven it basically to get through it. Um, you know, 
<laughs> these things that you're just asked to accept at a certain point, if you're, if they're asking us to accept that maybe she's an angel, then please don't also make me accept that 32 year old Riz Ahmed is a hardened veteran of the FBI. Riz is like, agent out, Riz is just like cruising Craigslist for gigs right now. He's in, he's in girls too this, this year. Did you see that? But, but yo, yo, real talk. Why was he in their house that night? In the finale, well, that is the, like, that is actually one of the theories is that he was there planting evidence because the FBI, for whatever reason, they want to keep the the uh, bioscience of the angels to themselves. That's annoying, though, because here's the here's the thing that's most annoying to me about the OA, other than a lot of the experience I had watching it. If we're being totally honest, there's now they're now talking about doing another season. Of course, they are. Don't yeah. don't do another season. I, one of the things I respected most about it was that I really thought it was over. Yeah, you know, and 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 I thought that maybe they would do something else and explore something else because the Riz Ahmed showing up in the this. house scene is actually the only thing that happens in the prairie being like all the things that, she, that happen when she's telling the story of where she's been in the attic make mm-hmm. have like the story logic of an oral tradition of where you're like kind of like you know how you're telling a story and you maybe forget a part yeah. but go back and tell it or you you kind of like speed through something but slow down at something else and you know i i that it you know, like you're saying it does explain the cuba episode if it's all a figment of her imagination and based on her reading but when riz ahmed shows up in the house it basically brings that kind of flimsy logic to like there's just no reason for him to be walking around a dark house no, and, and I think that, like, if I'm going to give them credit for anything else, it's like they reach past what we would expect of TV. Honestly, what we would, it, it well past it to the point where we were disappointed and are annoyed by a lot of it. But don't, don't, if you're, if you're trying to be an angel that flies too close to the sun here, don't come back down to Earth. Don't come back down to planet TV and try to do this again and make sense of it. Or the worst thing that can happen is you break the ambiguity. Yeah. You know, the, the cinematic sensibility that ends the series, which ends it in a place of deep ambiguity and conf- honestly confusion, that's something you do in movies more than you do in TV. And that suits this material because what's the best case scenario? The best case scenario is we start next season and it's true. Right. And because it's definitely going to be true. There's no version of next season where she's just crazy. Or but, yeah, or there's no version of next season where it's basically her going through the recovery process and apologizing to people. You know? Yeah, that's 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 not what this is or what this is going to be. So now we go even. So I guess then it becomes more conventional. But I don't think they're capable of convention or interested in it. So I'm a little disappointed in that. I mean, obviously the rules of new TV are being worked out in front of us. But if if they like Brit and Zal enough to, I'm calling them like I know them. But you know, I don't think they want to know me after this podcast. But I mean, if if they're committed to them and what they do anyway let them do another one, right? Because yeah. as someone who has not seen all their movies, the vibe I'm getting is that this is a lot of what their movies are, right? With her as a sort of potentially um, untru- a potentially uh, untrustworthy messianic figure. The, a, of of, of ambiguous legitimacy, I think is the way to put it. Right. And this is like, a lot of this comes out of The Sound of My Voice, which I think they had talked about wanting to do a sequel for. And at the end of Sound of My Voice, you're, you think that this person is a fake and it turns out at least... There is a hint that she is not in terms of being this mess, mess, messianic figure, like you're t- like you're saying. Um, yeah, you know, but I, I think what it comes down to, and uh, you know, it's interesting. This is we've never like in the same way I've never had this level of ambiguity about something I've committed this much time to. I don't think. Um, I don't know if we've ever had a conversation quite like this about any show because we 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 are sort of we sort of hate it, but we sort of keep talking about it, which is which in this 
first of all, two things, just in general, that's noteworthy and interesting. But two, in this economy and in this moment in the world, it, feel, it, it feels weird to bag on them for doing something so nuts when they were given the keys to the Ferrari, when, you know, if you compare this to, and we did at the beginning, we compared it a little bit to Stranger Things. I mean, Stranger Things was obviously more successful in many, many metrics, both in terms of viewership, cultural impact, and in, I, I would, I guess you could argue in terms of doing what it set out to do, which is telling a familiar, nostalgic, essentially conventional story, but yeah. doing it with, you know, with some, some style and verve and, you know, some, some cute kids. The degree, the, the, the hurdles of the high jump or whatever metaphor you want to use here, it's a lot higher here. And I feel like it's worthy of commendation, even though we're also just scratching our heads. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back on Monday. I think we'll be talking at least a little bit about the second episode of Homeland and we'll figure out yes. some other stuff. We'll let you guys know through the WatchPod Twitter account what we'll be talking about. Uh, until then, Andy, um, I'll see you on Taboo Island. Angel! <laughs> okay. Yeah. Good job, Riz. I'll come up with a funnier way to make a. I'll make an OA joke next time. Later. Just want to say thanks to Throwing Shade, the critically acclaimed podcast from Funny or Die is now a late show on TV land. It's a weekly current events comedy talk show hosted by Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi. Brian and Aaron look at all the headlines from politics and pop culture and treat them with much less respect than they deserve. From Funny or Die, it's Throwing Shade, wildly inappropriate, always funny, occasionally important. All new Tuesdays, 1030, Central on TV land. We're also brought to you today by Real Time with Bill Maher. When everybody's talking politics, he is talking common sense. Bill Maher and his rotating panel of guests are back for more in season 15 of HBO's award-winning series, Real Time with Bill Maher. Join Bill and his guests live as they dissect the new and not-so-new people and happenings on Wall Street and Hollywood, around the world, and especially in Washington, D.C. Watch Real Time with Bill Maher live Fridays at 10 p.m. only on HBO. Also, every week the conversation continues on Real Time Overtime on YouTube.